our attention in your word. I pray, God, that you open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive to this message. Help us to hear what you need us to hear. It's in your wonderful and precious name we pray. Amen. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to bring a message to the Thursday night group. Well, I didn't have an opportunity, a chance to bring that to the Sunday morning crew until I got a call last night from Marty that he wasn't feeling well. So he's on the mend, but he's out today. And so let's be praying for our brother Marty. So without further ado, we interrupt this sermon broadcast of Faith Over Fear to bring you war for the heart. Now, I often teach downstairs in children's ministry. That's my, one of my primary responsibilities. And we like to play games before we start our service. Now, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not gonna make everybody get up and run back from one side to the other. This, this is gonna be a very simple voting style game, okay? We're gonna call it harmful or not. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show an image of something. It could be an inanimate object. It could be an actual living organism. And then we're just gonna take a vote. I want you to tell me if you think it's harmful or if you think it's not harmful, okay? Does everybody understand that? Awesome, perfect. So here is the first one. Harmful, not harmful. All right, let's raise your hand. Do you think it's harmful? Oh, there's a few out there. Okay, how about you don't think it's harmful at all? Okay, I see a majority of hands saying not harmful. Well, this cute little cuddly creature is called a slow Ioris. And one look at this little baby ID'd walk, your heart just kind of melts a little bit. But these little slow Iorises can cause a bunch of trouble. These furry creatures carry a toxin that's released from the brachial glands in the sides of their elbows. And if threatened, the Ioris can take that toxin into its mouth, mix it with saliva, and bite you. It's painful, and the toxin can cause death and even anaphylactic shock. Okay, so maybe harmful. All right, uh, next image here. Mmm, lovely coconut palm tree. Do we think that's harmful or not harmful? All right, I see. I think there's a good mix. Harmful. Let's try again. Harmful. Oh, hey, there you go. I think you're getting to not harmful. All right, well... When you see a coconut palm tree, you just think paradise, right? But have you ever thought about how dangerous this can actually be? This trees can grow up to 30 meters high, and the fruit in that hard shell weighs around 3.3 pounds. Now imagine that falling straight on your head when you decide to, you know, hook up your little hammock underneath it, right? Maybe a little bit harmful. All right, next, next animal. Anybody know what that is? I'll tell you, it's a squirrel a squirrel. It's a little baby squirrel. So harmful or not harmful? All right, let's try again. Harmful. Oh, there are a lot more hands for this one. Not harmful. Okay, I think you're, you're picking up on something, all right? Well, these animals are not normally aggressive, and they wildly inhabit city parks. In fact, for some weird reason, the ones at Donner Park are just huge. Anyway, you've probably been tempted to feed them, and I'm sure some there have, but you really shouldn't. Once disturbed, they can bite you, and they're known to spread numerous diseases, including salmonella, encephalitis, and even rabies. So maybe a little bit harmful, right? All right, last image, last image. A vending machine. 
Harmful? Not harmful. I think you're picking up on something here. Okay. All right, well, we're just going to say that that is harmful, okay? It appears that vending machines kill four to six times more people in the United States than sharks do every single year. So I'm telling you, never, ever mess around with these vending machines, okay? If there's something stuck in there, just leave it. Or just try to buy another one. Maybe you'll even get two. Or call a supplier. But never, ever try to tilt or shake or rock this, because that's what really causes the harm. They can fall over, and they're going to hurt you. It ain't going to feel good. So I show you these images, really really not to worry you. I mean, we, we just basically outlined four images, and every single one of them was harmful. And I hope that doesn't make everybody afraid of everything and that uh, you encounter. But it kind of paints a different picture of what we think is harmful and what we think is not. It can, it can, in fact, it could turn out that things that we think are just not harmful at all can be some of the most damaging if we don't protect ourselves or set boundaries or see the danger ahead. Well, in Exodus chapter 20, God spoke to his people and laid down the law. I'm talking literally, the Ten Commandments. Jesus so eloquently summed up all of these in one statement. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, which is summarized of the first of the four Ten Commandments. And this is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself, the last of the six of the Ten Commandments. So what do these seemingly harmless-looking images have to do with the Ten Commandments? Seems like kind of a hard tie. Well, if you take a look at the third of the Ten Commandments, God instructs his people to not make a carved image. You shouldn't bow down. You shouldn't serve them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. So what is God instructing them not to make? What's another name for a carved image? Think golden calf. An idol, right? Exactly, an idol. Now, many of us think of idols. Many of us jump straight to that conclusion that that's one of those Ten Commandments we can just check off, right? You know, do not murder, check. Don't create an idol, check. I got that one. We see that list of Ten Commandments, and we do just that. Well, this commandment about idols is quickly skipped over because we think that we got that bullet point covered. There's no golden calf sitting on my coffee table. Well, listen to this excerpt from a book called Hashtag Struggles by Craig Groeschel. And in this book, Craig says this. A friend of mine who visited a remote, impoverished village in India told me a story. He saw a woman sacrificing a chicken as an act of worship to her God. My friend was shocked to see such blatant modern-day idolatry. After striking up a conversation with the woman, he was impressed with her. She was well-spoken, she was kind, she was educated. And when he learned that she had visited New York City three years earlier, he asked her what she thought about America. She explained that she hated it. She had never seen more idolatry anywhere in her entire life. And when my friend pressed her, she described three areas of idolatry that she saw. First, she said, not so gently, and I'm a testament to this, that Americans worship their stomachs. Her eyes, wide as she talked, 
This woman from a simple village described the massive stores overstocked with food to sell to people who already had too much to eat. Evidently, this woman was offended by people who were overweight when so many people in her village go hungry. Second, she described how Americans worship television. From her perspective, they design their homes around the television. It takes the most prominent place in the most prominent room, and the furniture is arranged not for talking, but for watching the television. It was almost too much for her to comprehend that some people would even allow a television in their bedrooms of all places. Finally, she said the worst form of idolatry was in the relationship that people have with their phones. She was deeply offended that people would use them while driving. Even worse was that no one, at least in her experiences, could have a full conversation without reading something on their phone. Kind of gives a new meaning to the word American Idol, doesn't it? My friend didn't try to disagree with the Indian woman. He knew he couldn't. Everything she said was true. And she hadn't even scratched the surface. Without getting into our obsession with food and with media, I'm simply raising the question about what we worship when we click. You're probably not putting a statue of a turtle ahead of God. And you probably aren't a star worshiper. But is your obsession with your phone getting out of hand? Some of us can honestly answer no. We're already using technology with good boundaries. We control it. It doesn't control us. We might have a healthy view of social media and and how we interact with it. So I'm thankful, and you should be too. Think about that for a second. When we hear about the woman from India who sacrificed chickens to her God, we think to ourselves, yep, that's what idolatry really is. After all, that's exactly how it was described in the Bible, right? But after hearing about it from her perspective, we've brought the issue of idolatry to this century and we wrapped it in today's culture. So we begin to realize it's a much more prevalent issue than we ever thought. So let's get right into it. And let's name some important points about idolatry that we should all understand. In fact, you can write these down if you want to or type them in your phone. The first one is this. Idolatry is the issue. The issue. Idolatry just seems so primitive and so relevant. Just saying the word seems so antiquated. Yet it's the number one issue in the Bible. Idolatry is seen in every single book of the Bible. and It's included in more than 50 of the laws in the first five books. Idolatry is one of only four sins to which the death penalty was given in all of Judaism. And if you look at what is going on in in the world around you and look at your life and others' lives through the lens of idolatry, we begin to understand that there's an unseen war going on around us. The gods of idolatry are at war for your heart, and we must understand their strength. Only one God can fully win your heart. And everything about you, everything you do, every relationship that you have depends on which of those gods win that war. Now, my mind has been opened by seeing my life and my faith in God through the lens of idolatry. And looking back at individuals that I've had the opportunity to talk to, I begin to understand and see it in their lives as well. In fact, we've all probably seen this issue 
when someone has reached out to us telling us that they're struggling with something, they're worrying about something too much, spending money they don't have, lusting or cheating in some way, stressed out about something, and on and on it goes. These individuals, myself included, confess what sin is ailing them, what we think is really the main problem and the issue in our lives. And we think we've nailed it down to just the symptoms, but we haven't really got to the root cause of the problem. Idolatry is not just one of many sins in our lives, but it's actually the one great sin from which all others spring up. And if you start really digging down upon what you're struggling with, you're probably gonna find that false God lying at the bottom. Now, there are millions of symptoms, but the ultimate prognosis is always idolatry. Second, behind the fact that idolatry is the issue, number two is idolatry is a heart problem. We can always turn to God's word for a better understanding of idolatry. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have it on your phone, or you want to follow along the screen, turn to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 16 through 19. Deuteronomy chapter 4. So here we have God dealing with a very specific problem that his people are facing. On the edge of the Canaanite land, his children are faced with the dangers and temptations to worship golden calves, cedar poles, statues, and worshiping the moon and the sun. Now those things just sound absolutely silly to us today and completely irrelevant, especially because they really don't have an effect on our modern life. So let's read what it says, starting in verse 16. So do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up in the sky and you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. The Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Today, our pursuits and the things we give the majority of our time, the majority of our money and our attention are no more worthy of our worship. Tim Keller, a well-known pastor, defines idolatry like this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel that my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. What we are searching for on the internet and chasing after in our lives will reveal to you what God is winning the war in your own heart. Your heart is the battleground where all the false gods of this day and age wage their war, and whichever God wins the battle claims the ultimate prize, your heart. There are so many scriptures that talk about how important your heart is. Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 states, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This statement shows that your heart is what defines and determines who you are, how you think, and what you will ultimately do. Because your heart is where everything flows, it makes sense that this is where these false gods are gonna wage their war. Jesus also put major emphasis on what's going on in your heart when he states this of all the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 15, verse eight. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Later on in the chapter, in verse 15 through 19, Jesus states, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from their heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. We always want to focus on the symptoms. But Jesus makes it very clear that the heart is the issue and that everything flows from it. Let's pause for a moment. Really take all these things in. And if you have a pen and paper, or maybe if you don't, jot a note down on your phone, and I want you to write down a question. And you don't have to answer it right now, but I want you to take some time later today to answer this question. And I mean, really think about it. What does your heart yearn for? What does it desire? And when you think about that later, I mean, be real honest with yourself. Lastly, idolatry is a choice, not the choice. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me for a second to chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. Chapter 24 of Joshua. Now, before we get to this chapter, let's recap quickly the story up to this moment in Scripture. Moses was called by God to lead his people out of Egypt, the land of enslavement for them. God had completed some amazing things like the Ten Commandments. He had parted the waters. He had provided manna and quail and even water for his people. And through all of that, what did God's people still do? Still do? They complained. <laughs> they complained. So much that it cost them 40 years of wandering in the desert before getting the opportunity to enter the promised land. And just as God had told Moses, he died and his entire generation with him before he got the opportunity to enter the promised land. Joshua then stepped up, became the leader of God's people, and the leader who got to take God's people into the promised land. But upon entering, because of 40 years had, had lapsed, Sin had spread throughout all the entire land, and God called upon his people to destroy it. And I mean literally. He said, you got to get rid of this. Your disobedience caused sin in this land. You have to take care of it. Joshua valiantly led God's people through many battles, including the destruction of Jericho. And now we come to Joshua chapter 24, where he's approaching 110 years old, and he has the wisdom and scars to prove the struggle that he pushed the people through. Joshua knows that he's nearing his death. So he gathers God's people for one last wise speech. And this is where we pick up our speech in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the regions beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in the land in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So here we have this famous verse. I no doubt know that many of you have probably heard it. But knowing that aside, the previous 
the previous verses lay context to what Joshua is really saying when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua is throwing down the gauntlet. He's saying, this is it. I'm I'm laying this down. You're going to make a decision. You will choose. But what were the choices that Joshua laid out? They had four different directions they could go. One, they could worship the gods of their fathers. The gods worshiped beyond the Euphrates River. These were the gods worshiped by Abraham's ancestors, the gods of the Mesopotamian era, and there were many. This was the default, right? The ones that their families had just had already worshiped forever. They knew them. They could worship the gods of the past, the ones that their ancestors worshiped in Egypt, because the Egyptian gods were multiple and they'd lived their lives so long there, it would have been unlikely that they would not have absorbed some of the culture around them. Number three, they could worship the gods of the culture in which they now lived, the the gods of the people in the promised land, the gods of the Amorites. They had just conquered the land, but the dominant gods of those lands were now pervasive And they were all around them. And it didn't take long for them to get sucked right into it. And into the nature of worshiping of false gods like Baal and Ashtaroth. Which probably were pretty appealing. And finally, they could worship God himself. The one true and real option of all of the others. The one who has been there with them for their entire life. He has been the one empowering them, protecting them, guiding them, giving them provision. The one who's actually been there for them. Now I want you to catch something here. Did you notice what choice Joshua did not give them? He didn't give them a choice to not worship at all. He didn't say, we could worship one of these four things, and then over here, just, just don't worry about worshiping anything. No, he's, he listed four things, and he said, you will worship one of them. Joshua is making an assumption and pointed the truth of the matter. We all worship something. You will make a choice. Not worshiping is not an option, and because worship is hardwired into who we are and what we do. Think about this as you look at your lives in the world around you from other countries and other cultures, even advertising and marketing. The question is not, are we worshipers, but rather, what are we worshiping? I stand before you today, and I can honestly tell you that I struggle. There are idols in my own life that are fighting for my attention and my control, and I often do give in to them. I'm not proud of them. I let them have my time, my money, my attention. And it's an ongoing battle that will never stop. But just like me, you are a worshiper. And you were made to worship. And just like Joshua, I'm laying down the gauntlet right now. and telling you, you need to choose. Will you choose the gods? of your fathers and mothers, the choice of worshiping the same things that your parents and grandparents did before you, new cars, new houses, new toys? Will you choose the gods of your past, those things that are literally in your past that still haunt you, that you hold on to, that keep you from living up to the potential that God sees in you?
Will you choose the gods of the culture around you? The ones hiding in plain sight that are so common that we don't see the alluring temptation before us? Or will you choose to worship the one true God? God wants you. He is a jealous God. There's no room for anyone else. He wants all of you. And God offers you something that no other little G God can. He offers a relationship with you. The deepest and most expressive offer of his relentless pursuit of you. He offers his own son. He has put every single thing on the line for you. Jesus, who never disobeyed, never deserved the consequences for the actions that he didn't commit, took them for you. He was arrested, put on trial, beaten, made fun of, and ultimately crucified for you. God showed us just how far he is willing to go to win your heart. You will choose. Will you make the call that Joshua did so many years before? Will you say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? If this is you today, and you've been struggling with a choice, and you need some guidance, I encourage you to seek out the leadership within this congregation. I know they and myself included would be happy to meet with you, We'd be happy to pray with you and to seek wisdom and guidance for the direction. And if you're here today and you've not made the choice and commitment to God, follow Jesus. Make that confession of faith and show that in baptism or by joining this congregation here. And help people fight the battle and take the good news of Jesus to the world. I invite you to come forward as we sing our song of invitation. Let's sing it, please. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. 